0: I love that song, that's something that I have a great, I'm a visual person, as you can tell. Um, and I love that because I just have this beautiful image and I, I kind of think because we're in the valley and we've got the mountains, I think that if we're in the valley and you can physically see them marching upward, that that would be so overwhelming and just so peaceful at the same time. So I love that song. This morning, scripture, we are still in First Peter. We've been here for a while, we're making our way through. We're in the second chapter. Um, our scripture is, is verse 2 through 10, but I would actually like to, if it's okay, to back up to the first one. Start with verse 1. And I think we're going to read all the way through to 12. So, in the header in my Bible says, A living stone and a holy people. So, starting in verse 1, it says, So put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourself like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in Scripture behold remember when we said behold before that's to get your attention it's like those cartoons when you see Batman we'll go pow wow okay so behold I'm laying inside a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. Thank you, Jesus. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, and I love this because I just think of Jesus going, leaning in a little bit and going, just listen when I see the word beloved in scripture. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Fathers, as we dive into this message. We ask that you open our, our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, just prepare us for whatever it is each, each person is going to receive from today. God, we ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen Son. Amen. Amen. So as I got to thinking about this and reading through this, really this scripture is holy living in a hostile world. Because we can turn on the news and see there's hostility everywhere. Every time you turn around, and I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I'm like, how did it get this far out? Where was that, that moment that we cross an insanity level? Because so much looks insanity just raging to me. But there are three metaphors, there's three mental pictures here. That are instructing us about the character and the calling of God's people. So, the first, which is found in verse 1 through 3, this is that God's people are children who need to grow. <clears throat> in verse 4 through 8, it's their spiritual houses in which spiritual priests live, but they must offer a spiritual sacrifice. And then, as it goes through 9 and 10, they're special people. They're called to be missionaries in labor. So let's kind of dive into this a little bit. So looking at verse uh, 1 through 3, this is talking about children that are craving the food for spiritual growth. So this first metaphor is one of basically removing a garment. As if you were preparing to sit down, because that's what they did when they came into the house. They removed the outer garments, the travel garments, and they were prepared to sit down. Peter's using a phrase that basically means to lay aside. But this is parallel to what Paul had talked about, putting off. Both are talking about your disrobing. Now, what they're talking about here is as you grow in Scripture, as you grow in your faith, there are actually five kinds of attitudes that we must learn to abandon. We must unrobe, if you will. And at the beginning, it talks about malice. It talks about deceit, pretense, jealousy, all kinds of sins of the tongue. I had a lady the other day. She said, well, let me just tell you. And I said, please don't. Just don't. Not trying to be rude. Just don't. If there's something, go to that person. Because I don't know the situation. But these are all our old ways. This is not how we are to live in the new age, in our new life, living for Christ. But there's a main verb here. And it's a phrase that says, desiring the pure milk have spiritual growth. And the only pure milk is scripture. It is the word. So Peter is using a point here when he says that just as babies crave milk, their lives depend on it. Our lives depend on spiritual milk. Our goal is to be nourished as we grow. We have to go to the word because that is the ultimate mirror of truth where everything can be found. Test everything against scripture. Then ask the Holy Spirit for your discernment and your wisdom and clarity. And then move according to the Spirit. Because I found when I do that, and I'm covered in peace, even if it's conflict with someone else, I'm doing my best to be in God's will. We've got to keep going back to the Word. So the second part of this is where he's talking about through verse 4 through 8. There's a literal transaction here. It's talking about your heart. These are your heart verses. And it's a state of affairs that's involved in the heart. But when we go through and we do a spiritual house cleaning of our heart, we're building up that spiritual house. We're making sure the enemy has no corners, no shadows to hide in. We're bringing everything before the light. Because whether we like it or not, God will bring everything into the light. I don't know about you, but I kinda like to do it on my time instead of me getting my toes stepped on and a smack in the head when he's bringing it to the light. I'd rather go, I got it, I'll confess, I'll do whatever I need to do. But this process that is being talked about here that happened with construction, there's, there's metaphors. And during this time period, the metaphors refer back to how the architect and the constructions were. Think about it like this, the ancient masons Would search very carefully for just the right stone and they would begin to build the wall. And this served as a foundation for the whole rest of the building. The wall is in Jerusalem now, there's still the cornerstone there. The original cornerstone is still there. And if I'm not mistaken, I didn't write this down for dimensions, so I'm pulling it from memory. If I'm not mistaken, it's like 45 feet by 45 feet, it's massive. You see, we talk about cornerstones. We're used to today's technology. We're used to today's building. We're used to today's materials. And if I can hold a brick in my hand, I'm thinking, well, that's not much of a cornerstone to build something on. But a cornerstone's massive. That's what God's calling the church to be the cornerstone in this world. But we have to notice that Peter does some negatives here and he does some positives, but he ends with a positive. Because ultimately, the superior of all the world, of all of our lives, is the positive, is Jesus. But he says that man rejected Jesus to serve as that stone. Because in their eyes, he had no form. There was no beauty. There was nothing they saw. But God chose exactly this stone that he laid carefully as the foundation for his new house. Jesus' rejection by man... It's God's election. One of the things I've learned when, when God puts something on my heart, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I can kind of hear the Holy Spirit going, yeah, don't really care. It's my will. My will's the best. Think about how much in your life you jacked up. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. But when God's laying a foundation, it doesn't matter what's rejected. Because we reject a lot. What does matter is that we're in his will. Because he has the ultimate best for us. So this this Christ living stone implies that God's selection of Christ is perfect. Anyone who does this because of himself is a living stone. A reference here in verse 5 is that God fits everything together as he's building the house. Everything. Every single church. We know we talk about the body. There's a a body member. Everybody's part of the body. Same goes for the house. We're all part of the building material. Because when they pass by, they see the beautiful stained glass. But when we leave the church building, we're still the church house. We're still the body. So with the passing away of the, the old covenant rituals and the new covenant sacrifices, there were spiritual sacrifices that came to the surface that we're being told that we should do because there were no more blood offerings after the lamb was sacrificed. These sacrifices are praise, mercy, gratitude. And I heard y'all talking this morning about the spirits, the gifts of the spirit. When we walk in our gifts, we don't always know how we affect each other, but we always affect each other. So we should do it in the obedience of God. In verse 6 through 8, Peter moves on to another contrast where he's talking about faith and disobedience. Both, both you can see in the cornerstone. You're thinking disobedience. Well, yeah, Christ was viewed as being disobedient. He was not being the perfect Sadducees. He was not being the perfect Pharisees. He was not being the perfect whichever group that was calling him out and rejecting him. So he was a little bit disobedient to their rules. Not to God's. Guys, ultimately, we have got to be obedient to God's rule, God's will, and God's commandment. So God set his elect, his precious cornerstone, in Zion. And as we come down to the last part here, we're looking at verse 9 and 10. This is a a calling for everyone that we are to be missionaries. Don't have to travel overseas. We have missions to do in our own backyard. food pantry knows that all too well. What a privilege it is to be a congregation in God's house of God's holy people in a hostile world. I didn't really think about that until I was really studying this. What a privilege. And then all of a sudden this video pops up as I'm, I'm going through and I'm reading and I'm, I'm researching and just talking about people being killed just for saying, I believe in Jesus. And it reminds me, it is a privilege. We do live in freedom where we can say, I believe. And I believe there will be a day when we stand and we say, I never denounce the name of Jesus I will never denounce his name, my calling, or anything, because I know that's right where the enemy's waiting, right at the door, just waiting to get his foot in, because I know how he speaks fear to me, and I'm not going back to that. I want him to fear every time my feet hit the floor, because I'm not afraid to call him Jesus. I'm ready to go wherever he sends me. Am I petrified? Yes. Do I like to fly? No. But it is what it is. I go where he sends me. So the titles, there are there's privileged titles. And there's actually four given here. And this is a reference that goes back to Exodus nineteen and also Isaiah forty three. But these titles are given to the chosen generation. We're a royal priesthood. No Christian can ever exist by him or herself. We need the family. No Christian can serve God by his or herself. We fall short every time. That's why Jesus went to the cross. The church is to be the holy nation. We are God's possession. We are his prize. When we walk in obedience, we are set apart. He calls us holy. All he asks in return is a humble heart and live holy lives. Finally, the believers together. It's beautiful. I know you've heard me say this before, but it's beautiful. When the church is just running and all cogs are in sync. I'm going to tell you from the outside looking in, because I wasn't raised in church. From the outside looking in, the body is the beautiful stained glass. Because he takes all of our junk, all of our ashes, all of our just horribleness and brings healing into us, prunes our hearts, sets a calling on us. And as we come together, we are the beautiful stained glass. All those pieces where all the black lines are brought together, that's how God networks us. Not just here, but with other congregations too. Our scripture today is calling us to be who God created us to be. We are set apart. We're to devote all of our energy to God's purpose, to God's will. Because ultimately, I know y'all are like me, I want to hear well done faithful servant. And I don't want to get in my own way of serving God. I was going to do this at the end after service, but I think we've got enough time now. We're going to go ahead and do communion today. Just as God called us to, to be the cornerstone, he called us to do our, our sacrifice of praise and mercy and gratitude. We've also were commanded to break bread together, to be in fellowship together, and to remember what Christ did for us. That's the whole reason we're here, is to honor him, and just as he was with his disciples, they had no idea what was coming. And he said, I'm not going to be with you much longer. They had no idea. But he told them, he said, this is the body broken for you. They didn't take his body. He gave it. When They came looking for him. He said, here I am. It's me. I'm right here. And when he to the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you. And they had no idea. We know that that was the ultimate sacrifice that tore the veil. So as we prepare to receive communion and our our ushers will please come forward, our servers will come forward, I'm gonna pray real quick. And then when you're ready, come and receive communion. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, you have called us to a higher calling than we even know at this very moment. God, you have set us apart. You have given us a purpose. May our thoughts and our mindset and our schedule not interfere with your purpose. May everything we do glorify you in all things. God, as we prepare to receive communion, we ask that your Holy Spirit meet us right here in these elements. God, we ask for for the Holy Spirit to be there because we are simply one sinner serving another sinner. But when you're involved, God, you bring the holy to everything we do. May this time together in communion be holy and pleasing to you as we lift our hearts of praise, mercy, and gratitude to you and only you. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen Son, Christ. Amen.